0: And good afternoon, you're listening to Ken Hodnell. this is the Ken Hodnell Show, coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas, gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. <coughs> well, today is January 17th, 17 days into the new year, 348 days remain till the year's over with. Uh, for those who have uh, purchased my books at various events, uh, they are now in ebook form, available on Amazon. I think there's about thirty of them up right now. Um, we are having a little bit of a disagreement at the moment that whether or not I am me, but other than that, everything is going smoothly. On thirty-eight BC a divorce started a war Octavian divorces his wife Scrimonia, and marries Livia Drusilla ending the fragile peace between the second triumvirate and Sextus Pompey uh, oh uh, I might also mention that the um yesterday i believe it was is uh hold on, let me double check that before i Insert foot in mouth. Never want to uh, be incorrect in uh, in giving information. Okay. Yesterday, January 16th, was Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, which uh, is a holiday, or allegedly a holiday, I don't get a holiday, I do this show. Um, Several shootings at events, which is becoming kind of par for the course. Uh, 1377, Pope the eleventh reaches Rome after deciding to move the papacy back to Rome from Avignon. It was put in Avignon as a result of the uh, agreement between the Pope and uh, Philip the Fair for the destruction of the Templars. He wanted control of the papacy, and when the Pope um, would not agree to what he wanted, he um, engineered his death and appointed one of his own to be Pope and move the papacy to Avignon. Uh, 1524, Giovanni di Verrazzano sets sail westward from Madeira to find a sea route to the Pacific Ocean. This was before the Verrazzano Bridge, before anybody asked. Um, 1608, Emperor Sesenios I of Ethiopia surprised the Oromo army at Ebenat. His army reportedly killed 12,000 Oromo at uh, the cost of 400 of his men, so that was a pretty good victory. Um, 1648, England's long parliament passes the vote to no addresses, breaking off negotiations with King Charles I and sets the scene for the second phase of the English Civil War that resulted in King Charles losing his head. The um, 1649, the Second Ormond Peace creates an alliance between the Irish Royalists and the Confederates during the War of the Three Kingdoms. The Coalition was indecisively defeated during the Cromwellian conquest of Ireland. Cromwell came in and basically kicked ass and took names. Uh, 1773, Captain James Cook leads the first expedition to sail south of the Antarctic a Circle. 1781, American Revolutionary War about a little cowpens. Continental troops under Brigadier General Daniel Morgan defeat British forces under Lieutenant Colonel Banastre Tarleton at the Battle of South Carolina. Uh, let's see. 1811, Mexican War of Independence and the Battle of Calderon Bridge. A heavily outnumbered Spanish force of six thousand troops. Defeats nearly 100,000 Mexican revolutionaries. The 1885 a British force defeats a large dervish army at the Battle of Abu Klea in the Sudan. 1893 Lauren A. Thurston, along with the Citizens' Committees of Public Safety, led the overthrow of the Kingdom of Hawaii and the government of Queen Lily Uokalani. 1999, the U.S. took possession of Wake Island in the Pacific. The um, 1912, British polar explorer Captain Robert Falcon Scott reaches the South Pole one month after uh, Roland Amundsen. 1915, Russia defeats the Ottoman Turks at the Battle of Sarikamish during the caucus campaign of World War I. 1917, we bought the, uh, the Virgin Islands from Denmark for $25 million. 1920, alcohol prohibition begins in the U.S. as the Volstead Act goes into effect. The biggest shot in the army in organized crime ever had. Uh, 1941, Franco-Thai War. The Vichy French forces inflicted a decisive defeat on the Royal Thai Navy. 1943, World War II, Greek submarine Pipanakolis captures a 200 ton sailing vessel, Agios Stephanos, and mans her with part of her crew. 1944, Allied forces launched the first of four assaults on Monte Cassino with the intention of breaking through the winter line and seizing Rome. An effort that was ultimately going to take four months and cost 105,000 Allied casualties. 1945, World War II, the Vistula oder offensive forces German troops out of Warsaw. Also in 45 on this date, the SS Toten Kopfverbandi began the evacuation of Auschwitz concentration camp as the Red Army closes in. 1945, Swedish diplomat Raoul Wallenberg, who had been personally responsible for the rescue of quite a number of, of uh, Jews that uh, Hitler wanted executed. is taken into Soviet custody while in Hungary, never publicly seen again. Still haven't, to this day, no idea what happened to him. 1950, the Great Brinks robbery. Eleven thieves steal more than two million from an armored car company's offices in Boston. Uh, 1950, United Nations Security Council Resolution 79 relating to arms control is adopted and immediately laughed at by everybody. 1961, on this date, saw President Eisenhower give a televised farewell address to the nation. And this was when he made the famous uh, warning about the accumulation of power by the military industrial complex. And the dangers of massive spending, especially deficit spending, which the Democrats love to do, which is disheartening. The uh, 1961 former Congolese Prime Minister Patrice Lumumba is uh, murdered in circumstances suggesting his support and of the governments of Belgium and the U.S. Uh, let's see... 1966, the Palomares incident. A B-52 bomber collides with a KC-135 strato tanker over Spain. Kills seven airmen and drops three 70 kiloton nuclear bombs near the town of Palomares and another one into the ocean. I don't think they were all recovered. The... um, 1977, capital punishment in the U.S. resumes after a 10 year hiatus as convicted murderer Gary Gilmore is executed by firing squad in Utah. And let's see. You know, um, as an aside, you know, live streaming is streaming becoming quite the thing. There was a plane crash. Uh, and it's just been determined that uh, one of the passengers in life streamed the crash as they were going down. That's got to be something to watch. Uh, 1991, Operation Desert Storm begins early in the morning as aircraft strike positions across Iraq. It's also the first major combat sortie of the F-117. Lieutenant Commander... Um, Scott Spicer's fa 18 c Hornet from uh, VFA-81 is shot down by MiG-25s, the first American casualty in the war. Iraq also fires eight Scud missiles into Israel in an unsuccessful bid to provoke Israeli retaliation. Um, 1991, saw Crown Prince Harold of Norway become King Harold V, following the death of his father, King Olav V. 1992, under the category Better Late Than Never, during a visit to South Korea, Japanese Prime Minister Kichi Miyazawa apologizes for forcing Korean women into sexual slavery during World War II. They were known as Comfort Women, to comfort the Japanese troops. In 1994, there was a 6.7 Northridge earthquake, which shook greater Los Angeles with a maximum or Kelly intensity of nine. Killed 57 and left more than 8,700 injured. Um, 1997, Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. a Delta II carrying the uh, GPS-2R-1 satellite explodes 13 seconds after launch. Drops 250 tons of burning rocket remains around the launch pad. Uh, 1998, saw the beginning of the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal. Matt Drudge of the Drudge Report breaks the story of the Bill Clinton-Monica Lewinsky affair on his Drudge Report website. Uh, 2002, Mount uh, Neriogongo erupts in the Democratic Republic of Congo, displaced approximately 400,000 people. 2007, a doomsday clock is set to five minutes to midnight in response to North Korea's nuclear testing. 2010: uh, riding begins between Muslim and Christian groups in northeastern Algeria, results in 200 deaths. 2013: Under "Say It Isn't So," former cyclist Lance Armstrong confesses to his doping in an airing of Oprah's Next Chapter. If you want the news, watch Oprah. 2016: President Barack Obama announces the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action which was basically another, um, also known as the Iran nuclear deal, or the Iran deal, is another agreement on the Iranian nuclear program. Uh, not that they all meant anything. Uh, both sides knew they weren't going to honor it, And in 2017, the search for the mysterious missing Malaysia Flight 370 is announced as suspended. We never have just determined what happened to the airplane. Okay, in our last segment, we were talking about uh, Beyond Roswell, a book that I wrote about crashes... uh, other than the one that's well-known at Roswell in New Mexico. This particular story came from a young lady named Christine, career military. She's a pilot and flew in the armed forces, even a member of the infamous Tailhook Association. And if you don't know what that was, it was an association for Navy fighter pilots. Named Tailhook comes from the hook on the back of the fighter jets that's used to catch the... Uh, Planes when I land on an aircraft carrier, the tail hook will grab the uh, the cable that's run across the deck, and uh, otherwise, there's every possibility the plane will go off the other end of the carrier. Now, according to the story she told on a night, one night a large UFO showed up and hovered over the base for about 40 minutes. Everybody saw it. We're all pilots, and we knew it wasn't ours. We could also tell because the brass didn't know what it was either. When it left, it took off at a phenomenal speed. Next day, a bunch of uh, black sedans showed up at the base. Each one had four guys all dressed in black, wearing fedoras. They got out and went to every building on the base and encouraged everybody not to talk about what they'd seen. Now, Christine says, I'm not easily intimidated I know how to use a firearm, and I've flown in combat conditions. But there was no question in anybody's mind these guys meant business. You know, the the men in black have um, been around um, as long as I can remember. Um, they've led a number of UFO researchers to actually commit suicide. At least that is the belief. Now, this next story came from a man by the name of Colonel Rogers. Retired military, lived alone. He mentioned some people. He had seen UFOs and his work in the military had assured them uh, that they were real. Several days later, a man dressed in black showed up at his door. When Rogers opened it, the man began to warn him about not talking about UFOs. Rogers said, just a minute, I'll be right back. Went of those' bedroom, came back to the front door with a loaded forty five. He cocked it, pointed it at the man's head, and said, I don't know if you're CIA, NSA, or an alien, but somebody will have a lot of explaining to do if I blow your head off. and I get out of here. Next day, another man showed up, wearing regular business attire. This was not a black suit. He hailed the colonel from the front yard with his arms raised. Said he was unarmed and asked if he could talk to him. Colonel let him come up on the porch, and he said, uh, "He said, look, Colonel, we're sorry. No more guys will show up at your house. Some of this UFO information is still classified, and would appreciate it if you just didn't talk about much of it, okay?" And then the guy left. Well, approached in that manner. The colonel was more receptive, but it does show a connection between the military and the men in black, at least in this particular instance. And then we have the ubiquitous black helicopters. And these are a little similar to the men in black. Abductees, contactees, and people at VFO encounters often report being followed by black helicopters. And once again, nobody's sure if these are government ha- aircraft or alien craft disguised as helicopters. And there are cases in the... Uh, literature that point to both possibilities. And what's interesting about these helicopters is they don't have any numbers on them, which, of course, is a violation of of FAA regulations and the law. One contactee, author Kim Carlsberg, uh, recorded being flown by a black helicopter in the days following a nighttime abduction experience, Unconfirmed sources say these black helicopters belong to the Army's 160th SOAR division. Helicopters are black, or in some cases very dark green, because they're stealth aircraft technology and can't be detected by radar. Just like the stealth bombers and fighters, um, which is a hell of an advantage if you're in a combat situation, apparently these craft are also made available to Other government agencies, including but not limited to CIA, FEMA, and NSA. Now, FEMA stands for the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and this is the organization you hear about on your local news whenever there's been a hurricane, a tornado, earthquake, flood, or any other major catastrophe. It manages the funds that are doled out by the government to states and individuals to help them recover from these events and look at for. Into covert or black operations, FEMA comes up again and again. It appears that FEMA is used to, as a cover to direct funds into these covert operations. And FEMA also turns up again and again from all kinds of different sources whenever the government secrecy and funding is the topic. I know the civilian, no other civilian agency shows up in this fashion. Not only that, But after any major disaster, people seem to have a hard time getting relief from this agency as if there were not enough money um, in the kitty. Maybe it's being spent on, um, shall we say, other activities. Now, when I was last considered acceptable to appear at Roswell, I met a man named Clifford Stone. He'd been a sergeant. That's a remarkable, he's uh, a remarkable man and tells an amazing story about the history of UFOs and extraterrestrials dating back to the early forties. Wrote a book called Eyes Only to Story of Clifford Stone UFO Crash Retrievals. The um in the book he discusses uh with great familiarity to the ending of Project Blue Book and a supposed interest to the U.S. Air Force and UFOs and talks about what actually really happened. He also discusses the formation of the UFO Retrieval Project and the work it's performed over the decades, as well as General Douglas MacArthur's involvement in the UFO mystery. When I met Stone and Roswell, he very kindly gave me a lot of documents that confirmed his story. And among them is the following information he gave me for my use. Now, according to what he put forth, General MacArthur organized a group called the Interplanetary Phenomena Research Unit back in 1943. Its job was to study the SSU, and the organization continues its mission to this day. Their purpose is to recover objects of unknown origin, particularly those uh, that are from non-earthly origin. They obtain field intelligence information, and pass it on to those who are the keepers of the information. Now Stone says that even Project Blue Book had an elite investigative unit, which was outside of Blue Book. This unit was thought to be working in conjunction with Blue Book, but in fact it wasn't. Stone had been living and had seen living and dead extraterrestrials in official duties on an army team that retrieved crashed ET uh, craft. He thinks that the extraterrestrials uh, will not permit us to explore the depths of outer space until we've learned how to grow spiritually and, and make themselves known soon if we don't first acknowledge their presence. February 26, 1942, commonly called the Battle of Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles witnesses uh, reported there are some 15 to 20 unidentified craft flying over the city of Los Angeles. Military units immediately responded by trying to shoot them down. 37th Coastal Artillery Group expended 1,430 rounds, and witnesses reported there appeared to be a number of direct hits. Of course, there didn't appear to be much reaction from the craft to being hit. We immediately set out to try to find out if there were some hidden bases belonging to the axis from which these what we believed to be planes at the time, could have come in some commercial airport that they could have had these uh, aircraft housed. None of this, of course, panned out. Every search effort uh, turned out to be fruitless. At the same time in the Pacific, U.S. military was experiencing the same phenomena. The so-called Foo Fighters uh, were making a nuisance of themselves. General MacArthur directed his intelligence people to find out what was going on. And there is reason to believe in 43 that MacArthur found out that, in fact, we were had beings not of this earth and visitors from some other planet, visiting our planet that was actually observing the world event we called World War II. One of the problems that he had was that, uh, should this be the case, and should they prove to be hostile, we know very little about them, and we had very little means to defend ourselves. In response to this potential problem, MacArthur organized what was called the Interplanetary Phenomena Research Unit. Um, supposedly, it was dissolved by the late 1950s. Now, officials have confirmed that the Inter- Interplanetary Phenomena Research Unit existed, but little else is known about it. It seems to have been an unidentified flying object-related undertaking, and some ufologists have suggested the the very name Interplanetary Phenomena Unit is an indication that the IPU was convinced that the extraterrestrial hypothesis was a viable explanation for UFOs. Now, the organization will later be taken over by uh, Rick Arthur, in spite of what's been said about it, disbanding, there's evidence that it's continued all the way to the present day. Names have been changed, of course, and records still haven't surfaced. The Army tries to state it wasn't an official organizational effort to try to investigate UFOs. It was organized by a general. It bore fruit, and it came to a conclusion that there were not popular at the time. That conclusion was an interplanetary spacecraft were visiting this planet. And they continue to do exactly what they do today, and that's part of the multi-intelligence operation and the recovery of objects of unknown origin, particularly those of an unearthly origin. Their actual purpose seems to be to assess that information, get raw field intelligence data, and process that data into some kind of useful intelligence product to disseminate to the field, to the people who have a need to know, and that these people... Uh, that are, shall we say, the keepers of the information. Now, it doesn't make any difference that uh, they're not on some uh, table of organization and equipment. They're still there, they operate, and they are funded with taxpayer dollars. Now, there's been a speculation that the IPU is another name for the Majestic 12 uh, group. That's unconfirmed and controversial. Uh, U.S. research group said they've been founded in '47 to handle UFO investigations in the aftermath of the so-called Roswell UFO incident. Another contention is that the IPU was a separate unit, also founded in '47, following Roswell and under direction of Army counterintelligence, but uh, ultimately placed at the disposal of MJ-12. Researchers William Steinman and Wendell Stevens contended the IPU was directly involved in the crash recovery of another UFO at uh, Aztec, New Mexico in March of 1948. They believed that this unit was ordered to go there by MJ-12. And another MJ-12 related document of questionable authenticity indicated the unit was supposedly established early in '42 by General George Marshall following a well-publicized UFO incident. The so-called uh, West Coast Air Raid or the Battle of Los Angeles, in which an unidentified object or objects over the city of Los Angeles resulted in a massive anti-aircraft barrage. Then, as I said earlier, General MacArthur has also been rumored to be involved in the formation of the IPU during or towards the end of World War II because of the many UFO incidents occurring under his command in the Pacific. Now, allegedly... MacArthur reported directly to General Marshall. Of course, there's been uh, I don't think uh, MacArthur would be in firm agreement with that. Maybe supporting MacArthur's involvement is the fact that uh, he did make public statements on at least three occasions that the Earth might have to unite to fight a future war against an alien menace. Uh, Two search quotes were in the New York Times, uh, one October 8, 1955, and The other one, July 5th, 1961. And another incident uh, where he made such a reference was a famous speech he made at West Point, May 12th, 1962. In that speech, he said, We speak in strange terms of harnessing the cosmic energy of ultimate conflict between a united human race and sinister forces of another planetary galaxy of such uh, dreams and fantasies as to make life the most exciting of all times a 4 speech MacArthur delivered in Manila in 1961. In May of 1984, William Steinman first wrote the Army Directorate of uh, Counterintelligence. Since, uh, according to Steinman's information, the IPU was run out of the scientific and technical branch of the directorate. And he got an interesting reply from Lieutenant Colonel Lance Cornine. Cornine claimed the IPU was only in unofficial existence and refused to definitely acknowledge the existence of any unit records of any type. He said, as you note in your letter to the so-called interplanetary phenomenon, the unit was disestablished, and as far as we're aware, all records, if any, were transferred to the Air Force in the late 50s. The unit was formed as an in-house project, purely as an interest from Assistant Chief of Staff for Intelligence. It was never a unit in the military sense, nor was it ever formally organized or reportable. It had no investigative function, mission, or authority, and may not even have had any formal records kept at all. It was only through uh, institutional memory that there's any recollection exist of this unit. Therefore, unable to answer your question as to the exact purpose of the unit, exactly when it was disestablished or who was in command. And this last would not apply in any case, as no one was in command, as it wasn't really a unit. We've got no records or documentation of any kind on this unit. In March of 1987, British UFO researcher Timothy Goode wrote the Army Directorate of Counterintelligence, and again received a letter confirming the existence of the APU from Colonel William Guild. And Guild was more definitive about the existence of IPU records and that they had been turned over to the U.S. Air Force Office of Special Investigation, U.S. Air Force Cal Intelligence Unit, and the Air Force Project Blue Book. He said the aforementioned Army unit was disestablished during the late 50s, was never reactivated, and all records pertaining to this unit were surrendered to the U.S. Air Force Office of Special Investigation in conjunction with Operation Blue Book. Good also noted the I.P.U. reported directly to General Marshall documents from the Air Force Office of Special Investigation about the I.P.U. if they exist have never been released in spite of requests. Now, one of MacArthur's Air Force generals, an Army Air Corps general at the time because the Air Force wasn't established until 1947, Came back to MacArthur and told MacArthur, we have to do something on... He said, we have what is something not of this earth. I'd suggest by this time even the Germans had uncovered evidence that we were being visited and had some type of physical evidence in their possession. MacArthur uh, definitely had physical evidence. From the documentation I saw while working this issue in the Army, I was. Not able to ascertain exactly what that physical evidence might have been, but it was certainly there. Going on to quote this Army Air Corps general, uh, the one thing I find unique is that the Germans may have tried to back-engineer one of these objects. We definitely tried to back-engineer it. We find that our technology has to be on par with the acquired technology in order to actually do a successful back-engineering. In the 1950s, U.S. Air Force uh, had an elite unit to investigate UFOs outside of Blue Book. Even though Blue Book felt this unit was working with them, they really weren't. It was organized as uh, uh, as the 4602nd Air Intelligence Service Squadron. Among its peacetime missions was to Operation Blue Fly. And our moderation blue fly was to recover objects of unknown origin that fell to Earth. And it's important that you remember these were specifically objects that fell to Earth because we didn't have any spacecraft up there at the time. So if anything fell, it wasn't ours. And as a result, they had monitors right there at Wright-Patterson. When UFO reports came in, they were looking at, looked at very closely to see if there was any possible necessity of sending out teams to recover any of these fallen objects. The Air Force states, they never used them, and uh, this Army Air Corps General, Tom MacArthur, he knew they did. But the intent of Operation Blue 5 peacetime project was to go out and recover objects of unknown origin impacted with the Earth. Later, it would be expanded in fifty-seven to cover all objects of unknown origin, meaning spacecraft as well, and become part of what they'd call in October 1957 time frame, Project Moondust. Well, quite a number of... of uh, classified government projects that revolved around uh, UFOs. Now, if the UFOs really didn't exist, that's a whole lot of time, effort, and money spent chasing nothing. And I don't think they would uh, allocate these type of resources unless they had some indication there was something to it. Now, Project Moondust is the overall field exploitation uh, to recover only two items, objects of non-U.S. origin that survives re-entry to the Earth's atmosphere and impacts with the Earth, and objects, naturally sure we'd be interested in these items from a technical scientific intelligence basis to determine or at least try to ascertain the technical capabilities of any potential enemy since our known enemy of the U.S., the USSR at that time, was... Launching space vehicles into outer space. The other area of interest was objects of unknown origin. And we found that there were quite a few objects of unknown origin that didn't correlate with any known space launches, impact times, or any known space debris falling back to Earth. In short, under Project Moondust and under Blue Fly, we recovered th- alien debris, not of this Earth, at various locations around the planet. The degree of classification we now have has changed over the years. Back during the time of the Second World War all the way up to, say, 1969, you may have had as many as 11 classifications. Now there are three, confidential, secret, and top secret. However, if you have information that's highly sensitive that requires protection above and beyond the norm of what's provided for most of these classifications, then you have the special access program and you don't get that type of information um, out into the public domain unless it's officially sanctioned. Now, during the discussion of UFOs, the question ultimately is going to come up, can any government keep secrets, let alone the U.S. government? And the answer to that is unequivocally yes. One of the greatest weapons the intelligence community has at their disposal is the predisposition by the American people, the American politicians, and the debunkers folks who want to try to debunk all U.S. information. Uh, They immediately come out and say, oh, we can't keep secrets, we can't keep secrets. Well, the truth is, they can. And a number of people known to be uh, rabid UFO investigators actually turned out to be um, hired by the federal government to debunk the very topic they were supposed to be investigating. The National, Intelligence, uh, Rec, uh, Re- the National Recogniz- Recognizance Office remained secret for many, many years. And the mere existence of the NSA remained secret. The development of the atomic weapon remained secret to one, once you exploded one, you eventually had to tell folks what was going on. Now, we're conditioned by our own paradigms not to accept the possibility or probability of a highly advanced race coming here to visit us, and you have evidence in the form of highly credible reports of objects being seen, of the entities inside being seen, but we look for a prosaic explanation and we throw out the bits and pieces of the evidence that don't meet our uh, paradigm. So it's a, I guess you could say, a self-keeping secret. You can conceal it in plain sight. It's political suicide to go and start hitting up intelligence agencies to get this information released. So most of your members of Congress, and I know I've worked with a lot of them along the line, will balk and try not to do it. Uh, I can name you three members of Congress that were point-blank asked to have a congressional inquiry into what happened at Roswell and laughed at the requester. One of the most ridiculous statements that I got was that a person would have to be a chairperson to do that. So I asked a senator from Mississippi if he'd do it, and without any hesitation, he said no. I said, would you give me that in writing? Well, I got it in writing, but I'm hesitant to release it. I'll show it to you, but I'm hesitant to release it simply because I made a promise not to. In other words, members of Congress who are in positions of authority to, to release information have been approached and asked not to do it. We've got to get the documentation as it exists in the government files. We've got to get it released before it ultimately is destroyed. A good example is the blue fly and moon Dust files. Um, a number of these files were known to exist when the individual requested permission to um, to access the files they were immediately destroyed Somewhere along the line, you may see that material and realize there's some highly sensitive information that uh, would have a damning effect on the national security of the U.S. should it become compromised. It needs to be further protected to ensure that there's only a limited access to that material, and, and it's, uh, that is uh, limited to a small number of people. So small, you can put them on a, one side of a piece of paper. Thus, you have the special access program. The controls that were supposed to be put on the special access program were not there. When Congress did their review of the way that we protect documents and the way we go ahead and implement our secrecy programs, they found you had special access programs inside of special access programs. That is simply impossible to keep control of them. When it comes to UFOs, the same criteria applies. Therefore, only a small nucleus within the intelligence community, which probably numbered less than 100, had uh, control over all that information. It's not subject to congressional review or congressional oversight at all. So Congress needs to go ahead and ask the hard questions and convene a hearing on the matter without laughing up their sleeve at something as silly as talking about UFOs. Um... To show you how members of Congress act, our local congresswoman um, who I approached about an issue uh, regarding um, falsification of documents in regard to government grants, specifically from the VA, um, told me that I had to understand she was too busy taking care of undocumented immigrants to worry about the little problems of veterans. So you serve your country, you get screwed, you break the law to come here, and you are protected. And if she could do it, she would put you on her shoulder and carry you through the streets. And these are the people we have leading our country. Now, there would seem to be quite a few missions to describe, but simply put, there were quite a number of missions to retrieve, crashed UFO, uh, or what's referred to as ET, extraterrestrial objects. A lot of people think you just just in the unit, waiting, uh, waiting in the rafters, just waiting for the next UFO UFO crash, uh, landing where there's going to be debris, it, but it doesn't work that way. You've got a real life. you got a real job in the military. But if you're in an area where an event takes place and you're one of those people that they can go ahead and call on, upon in your field of expertise then you're called in. That may not be your primary job, but if they think you can be of assistance, you get the call to come in. Now, in order to prepare, um, this was Sergeant Stone talking um, for this. Very early on in my career, they sent me to NBC school at Fort McClellan, Alabama. Three-week school, that's uh nuclear, biological and chemical. I went to some of that training. It's for NBC personnel. It would always be in the context of an NBC unit that I'd be involved in UFO retrievals. You'd go ahead and deploy as though it were a nuclear accident, and there are procedures already established um, on nuclear, or biological, or chemical accidents. So you'd proceed in that that specific way. If you could get in there and do recoveries, if you could go in and extract the debris there. That are uh, there quietly behind the scenes, and no one knows you, you do it. If you needed an officially sanctioned deception program to come into play, such as a bogus news release, you could get that done as well. For example, if you have an airplane accident, standard procedures on we have standard procedures on how to handle that. Those well, same procedures are utilized when you do a recovery and extraction of a crashed ET spacecraft, the debris is thereof, and. Stone stressed uh, simply because there are highly advanced technical machines. Not that many crashes. They're flawed because they're made by an intelligence that is as mortal as you or me. And being mortal, they're subject to error. Now we're talking about a highly intelligent civilization, not a highly incompetent civilization. We take steps, they take steps, but at the same time, when you go out, you make a recovery. When you make that recovery, you handle it the same way you would as if you were out there on an airplane accident or you have a hazardous material type situation because those procedures work. It's all set up. The only problem you have is that you have people out there that are clearly going to realize that this is not something of this planet. To be sure with the blue fly recoveries, you do what's called an uh, on-site analysis. In short, you have experts out there who know what missiles are who know what aircraft are and they're looking at this material and they're telling you what it isn't this leaves you only one possible conclusion something that didn't originate on the face of the planet is what you're looking at and this was the intent of the blue fly teams very critical to do an immediate uh, on-site analysis now the way you package the material if it's just debris, it's handled the same way you would if it was hazardous material. You took precautions. If you had a whole craft, you took very serious precautions because while everybody seems to be sure the ETs are not hostile, you still could cause some serious accidents that would result in death. and he didn't want to go into how it was with the family when he had to leave on these operations because you get a little emotional because you think about what could happen. Of course you try to conceal the material particularly if you have a large craft and it's disc shape or wedge shape which is a very good shape that we get from time to time. You take precautions particularly if you have to go ahead and put it on a truck to bring it in. If you have to put it on a truck to take it to a safe haven area, um. they they track that truck. truck has an 800 number, so if there's a breakdown, they can secure the vehicles and stay with it. But they have a number they can call and immediately get assistance out there to move the vehicles to a safe haven area. And there are procedures outlined uh, in regard to this. Matter of fact, you have a shipping document. And that shipping document has a number right on it to call. And you use a code word. And um, one code word they used was... Tabasco. In the case of an ET crash, you're going to get a specialized team out there that knows what to do should there be a biological component. And one of the big concerns, of course, was biological due to contamination as a result of this being truly of alien origin. And we talked in an earlier show about the the Mexican Roswell where uh, the members of the, the Mexican first responder convoy died of exposure. To whatever was inside a UFO that had a cracked porthole. Now Stone was prepared to state that he had been at locations whose craft of unknown origin didn't origin, uh, one more time did not originate on the face of this planet, and he was prepared to state that while he was there, they saw living and dead bodies of entities that were not born on this planet, and he was prepared to state that they had what they referred to as interfacing with these entities. And uh, they have a school to try to indoctrinate people. He never went to that school. He always refused, and he was prepared to state when he got out of the service in nineteen ninety they held him for two months so that he might better reconsider his options about staying in or and not getting out and He was prepared to state that he had orders to, that stated that he was supposed to get out in december december first nineteen eighty nine and they revoked those orders. Once again, a violation of law, they held him for two months pending approval of his retirement, which had already been approved. purpose of that was to try to convince him to stay in, because if you give people this specialized training and they have this specialized knowledge, you don't want to let them out of your control. So we have contact with aliens, not originating from some foreign country, but from some other solar system, and he'd been a party to that. He'd worked it. He'd been there. He knew some of the things we do is really, really, really terrible, They're not hostile toward us. We're the enemy in this instance, but we're the enemy for good reasons. We're concerned about what some other country might do. Um, And he's concluded he's fighting against the clock. He has but a short time to try to convince people that we're moving down an avenue where we're going to have to militarize space. And once we militarize space, we'll have a whole new avenue of technology open up to us. Now, NASA says it's going to take another 1,400 years before we achieve what we call interstellar travel. By the end of this century, we'll be doing that based upon the uh, recoveries that he'd been a part to. If we do nothing to grow spiritually, and that's a hard thing for him to have to state, he said, but if we do nothing to grow spiritually, we will not achieve interstellar travel. They'll stop us. What's worse, they make themselves known to an unsuspecting people on this planet. And a lot of folks are not emotionally equipped to handle that. Well, we want to acquire the technology that they have. We want to make this technology part of our own technology. Over the next 25 years, and remember, he wrote this and gave it to me um, about 10, 12 years ago. in the next 25 years, we're going to militarize space. And as a result of militarizing space, we're going to acquire new technologies, and we're going to get into interstellar travel. And as a direct result, we'll become a threat to these entities unless we um, meet their requirements. But he felt if we don't grow spiritually, we're forcing the situation where the entities will eventually make themselves known. And they will make themselves known, no question about that. And no power on Earth can stop this from happening. ETs will do this in order to stop us from going out into space as a threat. Uh, If this should happen, it will happen to an unsuspecting world population, and that's going to create some extremely serious problems. But that doesn't deal just with the U.S. It's a truth that the entire world has to be informed about. And that truth is that man is not alone in the universe. We have people from other planets, from other solar systems coming here. He believes the intelligence community had good intentions when they classified information dealing with UFOs. And they, they asked some very serious and very hard questions. What impact would it have if the peoples of the world knew we were no longer alone in the universe, that they had intelligence that was visiting this planet? Well, as he said, he thought the initial intentions were good. As intelligence agencies among nations, nationally, you want to go ahead and acquire the technology for military application. You want to try to keep some of that knowledge as confidential as possible by classifying it as high as you can possibly can, keeping it out of the open only to a small handful of people, such as the special access program participants. And while we had we were full of good intentions in keeping the information classified, um, that's now. Um, Hurting people, he doesn't believe any government has a right to try and make individuals who merely look at UFOs seem crazy. He doesn't believe any government has a right knowing that the psychology of specific individuals may ultimately lead to a tremendous amount of mental uh, depression, ultimately leading in many, many cases to suicide or self-destruction. And when we when we see these type of things coming about, we have an obligation to reconsider our thoughts and positions. And he believed we needed to break down the wall of secrecy. Have to be responsible in getting the truth out. And it, it, it's not really a scary story. According to what he learned, ETs have their own perception of God, they have families, they have cultures. He finds that they have likes and dislikes, and you look for those things that are similar among us, not the differences. And that's the way you start on the path to truth. The problem is, we've right now, is that we look at them as something to talk about, something to marvel at and to be amazed by, and something to be suspicious of. Well, he yeah, had just finished a training that he took as to be an uh, NBC NCO non-commissioned officer. And a friend of his brought him back to Fort Lee, Virginia. He's going to Fort Meade, Maryland, and says, come on, I'll give you a ride to your base. And they discussed UFOs all the way to Fort Lee. Some weeks after he got back to Fort Lee, he got a call from this person. He was going to visit him at Fort Meade. He got to Meade where he was supposed to be. They said, well, he's going to be tied up. We'll talk to you later about his situation as soon as he gets free. And then this uh, person that was giving this information said, have you ever been to the Pentagon? Well, at that point in time, he had not been there. I mean, it's it's somewhat unusual for, um, unless you're assigned there, for anybody but a high-ranking officer to go to the Pentagon. I went twice. I can't say I was fond of the trip. It's a really unique place. And he said, why don't we go ahead and give you the 25-cent tour? So they went on over. They went in, and he had a little badge that was given to him. No picture on it, but the guy that was with him, he had a picture, and he'd tell the guards he's authorized to come with me. And he would he'd always be the one to get him in. And finally they got to a place with an elevator, and they went down. They don't know how far down they went, but he uh, did not know if there was one flight, one level below the Pentagon or 50. But they went down, and when they got there, there were two monorails, under the Pentagon. It looked like long tubes, rather thick in the center, one at each side. And these little monorails with cars that look like a bullet where you see two people in the front and two people in the back. And they got on and rode for twelve, he thought about twenty minutes. When he got out, he said, oh, Let me show you some interesting sights down this corridor here. So they went down the corridor and it looked like there was a door at the far end. As he got closer and closer as his uh, guide, if you will, turned to him and said, you know, things aren't always what they seem to be. He says a lot of people don't know about these underground locations underneath the Pentagon. And only a few know the Pentagon is underground monorails that connect up to other locations. He says it's just like the walls. They don't all uh, all seem like walls. He said, what do you mean they're not walls? He said uh, he thought it was telling a joke. At that moment... Uh, he says, no, it's like the wall behind you. And he looked back and looked like a wall to him. He says, there's no seams or anything I can see. And then he pushed him. He tried to grab, but there was actually a door that opened. And when he got through the door, there was a field table. And behind the field table, you had this little entity, a little bigger than the three, three-and-a-half-foot-tall entities that i reported a lot of times. And on that note, having just uh, encountered... Sergeant Stone seeing an alien underneath the Pentagon. We've come to the end of today's show. We'll talk more about Beyond Roswell and some of the other books that I have made available through Amazon as ebooks. Uh, until tomorrow, at this time, this is Ken Hodno for the Ken Hodno Show saying have a truly great evening.